If you would, please remain standing and open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 18. That's Proverbs chapter 18, starting in verse 21. This will be short this morning. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Be seated. On September 12th in 1962, John F. Kennedy gave a speech that ended with the words, we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they're easy, but because they are hard, because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Kennedy's speech in 1962 inspired a nation to join together and reach for the stars. With just $26 billion and seven years of work, seven years later, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were the first two humans to step, on the foot, step a foot on the moon. An estimated 650 million people watched as they did this. And we all know the words that Neil Armstrong spoke when he stepped foot on the moon, saying, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. In July of 1776, Thomas Jefferson penned a document a little more than 1,300 words long, declaring America's independence from Great Britain. He and 55 others signed their names to those words, and soon after the Revolutionary War began. It lasted seven years and had tens of thousands of deaths. And we still quote those words today. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with inherent and inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In the midst of the Civil War, President Lincoln gave a two-minute speech regarded as one of the most important speeches ever given, saying fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equally. Martin Luther King gave a speech. We all know it. I have a dream. Franklin Roosevelt, shortly after Pearl Harbor was attacked. Ronald Reagan saying, take down that wall. George W. Bush after 9-11. Our words are powerful things. We've seen words that can bring a nation together or tear one apart. We've seen words that can inspire, words that can lead us into war or lead us into peace. Our words can build up and they can destroy. That's why in Proverbs 18 it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. The book of Proverbs has 112 references to how we speak. 68 verses about the speech of the fool and 44 verses about the speech of the wise. 
It's unlikely that any of us will have to make a world-changing speech one day. But we still need to understand that our words have that same power. How we speak and the words that we choose to speak, they matter to us. Turn with me to James chapter 3. says, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt salt pond yield fresh water. James describes this power of words. He tells us it can be a consuming fire. It can build up, but it can also destroy. He compares the words to a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship. Very small things that turn a very large body. Proverbs shows us the difference between the speech of the fool and the speech of the wise. In Proverbs 12, it says, An evil man is ensnared by the the transgression of his lips. There's one whose harsh words are like a sword thrust. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. By the mouth of a fool comes the rod for his back. In chapter 15, a harsh word stirs up anger. The mouths of the fools pour out folly. The mouths of the fool feed on folly. The mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Foolish speech comes from a lack of wisdom. The speech of the fool brings injury to both the speaker and the listener. It stirs up anger. Foolish speech loves to mock and mask its mocking as sarcasm or just joking. It loves to complain and correct. It it comes easily whenever there's pride or covetousness or anger present. Foolish speech seeks to tear down And on the other hand, why speech seeks to build up. 
In Proverbs 10, it says, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Chapter 12, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. There is one whose harsh words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In chapter 21, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. But what does what is wise speech actually sound like? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Our speech should imitate Christ's speech. It shouldn't be littered with joking and filthy talk. Our speech should seek to build each other up, and it should constantly point to, to the gospel. In Titus, it says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may, may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Our speech should be a model of our good works. People should know that we're Christians by the way that we speak. We've all driven down the road and seen the car with the bumper stickers, the Jesus fish, and seen that car flipping everyone off and cussing. That shouldn't be how Christians speak. In 2 Timothy, it says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will, will spread like gangrene. Wise speech should seek to avoid meaningless quarrels. Why speech does not endlessly complain about things that don't matter? Why speech doesn't gossip and it doesn't veil itself in sarcasm? Peter wrote and said, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for, uh, for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Wise speech requires us 
to go against our natural fleshly desires. We're to bless those who bring evil against us. Turn away from evil. Pursue peace. So our words have the ability to build up or destroy. They have the power to bring comfort and healing into a person's life. And they have the ability to either divide or reconcile. And every word that we speak those words are going to do one of two things. They're either going to glorify God or they're going to mock God. There's no in-between. Your words will either glorify God or they will mock God. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was asked, Teacher, which, of the, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And second to that is to love your neighbor. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that's often used at weddings that describes what love actually is. It says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. How does your speech measure up to 1 Corinthians 13? Is your speech patient and kind, or is it prideful and boastful? What would it look like in your life if we could take all of our words for just one single week we could put them on a scale. On one side of the scale is wisdom. On the other side of the scale is foolishness. If we could put every conversation we've had with our spouse, every interaction that you have at work or school, every word you've said to your children this week, which way would that scale go? Add to that, what about every text you've sent? Your emails you've sent? Every social media post you've made? If we had every discussion about politics, every post in a Christian forum, every discussion about sports, what would that scale say about the, your walk with the Lord? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, 
nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. What would this scale loaded with our words just for a single week say about us? What would it say about our wants and our desires and our priorities? Because it's out of the abundance of our heart that our mouth speaks. Now, some of us may look at that and say, well, we can make excuses. At least I don't use bad language inside the church building. Well, if so-and-so didn't frustrate me so bad, I wouldn't have to talk to him that way. I can come off mean sometimes because that's just who I am. I'm just a sarcastic person. Everyone knows that I'm joking when I talk about this. But if we look back at the words of Jesus, it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futilities of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy practice, to every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We don't get to say that I speak this way because it's who I am. Because if we have Christ, we have been called to put off the old and to put on the new. Through God's grace alone, we're called out of our former ways, called out for our, our former passions, our desires, called out of slavery to sin and to freedom in Christ. So I want us all to really consider what our pattern of speech says about us. Will you leave from here today, go to work or school tomorrow? Will you sound like the world or sound like Christ? Will you gossip about your friends or your coworkers? Will you criticize the people around you? Will you tell the same inappropriate jokes that they do? Will you leave from here and lose your temper when things don't go your way? Or will you seek to love those people around you? Will you seek to encourage them to open up and build actual relationships with these people? Will you share the gospel with them? If you're a husband or a wife, what does your pattern of speech to your husband or wife say about you? Are you critical to each other? Are you constantly arguing? Are you overly sarcastic with them? 
you put down your spouse or belittle them and then just say it's a joke? Husbands, do the word, your words to your wife reflect Christ's love of the church? And wives, do your words point to you submitting to your husband? This is even more important if you're a husband or wife and you have children. Because fathers, your sons are going to learn how to speak from you. They're going to learn what it means to love a wife. And they're going to learn from your words and your actions to your wife. Even when you don't think they're listening. If you treat your wife like a slave, if you jokingly, even jokingly, put her down or belittle her, your sons are watching, and they're one day going to treat their wife in the same way. Fathers, your daughters are also going to learn what's acceptable for a husband to say and do to a wife. Moms, your daughters are going to learn what submission means from you. If they see you talking down to your husband, if they see that when it's time to make decisions that there's a constant argument and a constant struggle, they're going to learn these traits and most likely they will struggle with them when they get married. Parents, how we speak around and to our children will have an impact on the rest of their lives. We have been given these young lives to love and to protect and to provide for, but the most important job that we have is pointing them to Christ. Because these children don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord, and we have just been made stewards over these children. How we talk to our children points to our own priorities. How much time do we make to actually sit down and really have a conversation with our children? One of the hardest questions that I had to ask myself, and I'll ask you, what would your children say about your speech? Would they describe it as patient or kind? Or would they describe it as prideful, boastful, short-tempered? Would you want your children to speak the way that you do when they're not watching? So I'll go back to where I started in Proverbs chapter 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruits. It's my prayer for you today that you would listen to the words of scripture and that you would meditate this week. That you would meditate on the importance of words. Meditate on what our words say about our walk with the Lord. Meditate on what our words tells others about Christ. If we believe what scripture says that if our words come from the abundance of our heart, then I pray that we would use them to glorify the name of Christ. So I'm going to leave you today with Psalm 19. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It is rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the ends of them, and there are nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings like honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for a grace and a mercy that we don't deserve. We thank you for calling us, for choosing us, not based on anything that we have in us, not based on any work that we've done, not based on the words that we say, but that you chose broken and rebellious sinners so that your grace could be seen, your mercy could be seen. I ask you to let us focus this week to help us understand that our words will either glorify you or mock you. So I ask that you guard our tongues, that you guard our hearts this week as we prepare for, night, for tonight when countless children will be out on the street knocking on doors. I pray that you give us a heart to have gospel conversations with them, to love them, to be good neighbors, Lord. Bless us as we continue to worship. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.